Welcome to the first ever episode of Literary Cannonball. Yeah! <laughs> Literary Cannonball is a podcast for anyone who wants a fun and feisty conversation about books with plenty of feminism and plenty of puns. I am Kirby Fenwick, writer, sunshine editor, and owner of a structurally unsound TBR pile, and I'm joined by Neve Marnie, student by day, writer, editor by night, and reader by nature. Nice. Ah. Love it. So <laughs> professional. And I'm Fee Murphy, also a writer, also an editor, sometimes poet when I'm feeling inspired by nature. This Woo! is true. Nice. <laughs> Brilliant. How are you feeling? I am so nervous. First episode. I'm sweaty palms. <gasps> Definitely run to the bathroom a few times. Just, you know. Nervous pace. Nervous pace. <laughs> yeah. Like an athlete on the blocks. Ready to dive into this. <laughs> Can't swim, can't run, but I am an athlete. Fine, that's totally fine. <laughs> You're a pro reader. Mm. I yeah, professional reader. That is such an that is that's an athlete. It's yeah. A, I can't gold say medal. award winning gold medalist just yet, but hey, we might give each other prizes. Just getting there though. Yeah, yeah. There will I be. I believe prizes. in you, Fee. Thanks. I carbloated. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely carbloated yesterday. Oh, for sure. Mm. <laughs> Oh, sweet potato super fries. It's my thing. Nice. Okay, if you'd like to know a little bit more about what we're all about here at Literary Cannibal. And what we're snacking on. Very important. Yeah. We recommend jumping back and listening to our pilot episode where we delve a little deeper, but not too deep, into all things Literary Cannibal. If you've already done that, or you're just a daredevil type, who's happy to jump in head first, then all right, let's do it. Let's go. Starting gun. So, what book has the honour of being the first ever to feature on the Literary Cannibal podcast? Drum, drum roll, please. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Very impressive. It's really hard to Thank make you. page turning sound effects. <laughs> don't oh, rip <laughs> it. <laughs> I own the book, don't worry. It's not a library <laughs> book. Okay, so now we've destroyed the book. <laughs> Uh, this month we'll be chatting about the forgotten classic that is Dodie Smith's I Capture the Castle. Smith wrote I Capture the Castle, her first novel while living in California during the Second World War. She was already an accomplished screenwriter and later wrote the smash hit 101 Dalmatians, which you may be familiar with. Possibly. I may reenact the spaghetti scene with myself. Doesn't work with one person. <laughs> <laughs> I write this sitting in the kitchen sink. So begins I Capture the Castle, and so we are introduced to the tolerably bright Cassandra Mortmain. Is that right? Mortmain? Would you say Mortmain? Mort sort of like, um, if you're going French, it's more like Mortmain. So like Voldemort, it's meant to be. I love how your French references. <laughs> Harry Potter! <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, Voldemort and Harry. No, but it's shit. JK actually used quite a lot of like different languages, like, um, the truth-telling sound, veritaserum, is, the root is from veritas, which is French for truth. Anyway, it doesn't okay. matter. Anyway, I'm just going to say more main. Should we just say more main? Yeah, just say more main. Fuck okay, it. Cool. Fuck it. Okay, so I Capture the Castle was published in 1948 and tells the story of Cassandra and her eccentric family. Her writer father, who is currently suffering from writer's block, her former artist model stepmother, Topaz, her sister Rose, on whose potential marriage the family's fortunes rest, Stephen, the son of a former housekeeper who lives with the family, and Thomas, Cassandra's younger brother, who reveals himself to be nearly as bright as Cassandra herself. Mm. All of them live in Gentile poverty in a crumbling castle in rural England. The story gets going once the Cottons, the wealthy Americans who become the family's new landlords, after inheriting the nearby Scotney Hall. No idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, when they okay. arrive. Okay, so. Thoughts? The thoughts. All of the thoughts. Okay, so my first thought, do you guys classify this book as YA? For the listeners who may not know, that's young adult. Uh, I don't know. I originally read this book about probably eight to ten years ago and definitely picked it up as a classic. I'm, 
actually shocked. Like, not shocked. It doesn't surprise me. Um, that it's YA, because I just thought, oh, it's a classic. But mm. uh, I, I don't think of... one excludes the other, to be honest. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I, yes, I do agree with that. But I'm just like, oh. <laughs> I'm not a big YA reader. I don't have anything against YA, but... I still haven't categorised it as YA in my mind. It's still Mm. just a a banging classic. I have to say that I kind of feel like the whole YA thing is more a marketing thing Mm. than it is actually... Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels kind of like... I mean, this was was published in 1948. Like, YA was not even a thing Mm. in 1948. Mm. So it's Uh, kind of like we're classifying it now as as a YA... And I find it's really interesting that in a relatively short period of time, so eight to ten years since I picked it up and read it, it's, like, been recategorized into something not completely different but something very specific. And in terms of the cover, and we'll put pictures up of the cover on our um, social media accounts like Instagram and whatnot, I fucking hate this cover so much. I've literally been turning it upside down so I don't have to look at it. We should I say we should say that uh, Fee and I have the same cover. The Vintage Smith. The Vintage Smith cover, um, which you can sort of, I guess it's a picture of a young girl from like sort of torso. Like a, like, like a half of her body yeah. but you can't well, see her face. Haha, see? YA, torso, young girl. <laughs> is that like a trope? That's a, that's a trope. Yeah, um, right. Not that, I enjo- tr- um, <laughs> not that I enjoy that trope. I actually think it would be better suited for a different book, to be honest, um, other than like, a what, capture. What did you think this cover actually meant? Because to me, it just looks so... It's bland. It's bland. Mm. It doesn't represent anything except yeah. like, ooh, a girl... Standing. Oh, flowers. Oh, I mean, it's, not even a, it's not even like an wreath, which would kind of connect. Yeah. She's just holding She's just holding them. It kind of looks like a photo stock image of mm. what does a consciously naive young woman, girl, <laughs> vintage <look> pastoral. Like. <laughs> yeah. And like, I've got, I think it could, it's a beautiful image. Whoever took the picture, um, we're not dissing you. Yeah, it's it's great image, We're definitely but <laughs> I just don't think it's anything to do with the no. story. And I think it is very much kind of trying to pigeonhole it to specific a specific readership. Yeah, which, right. I don't know. I think it's yeah. book for everyone. We should say that um, a friend of ours on our on our socials said that she thought the cover was quite foreboding, which mm. is really interesting because if anyone's read the story. It's not. It's not for both. In the least. I think, well, the thing is with YA, I know, because I read the reading on our website that we've got, and the first um, thing, I can't remember exactly what the website was, but it was talked about how a YA, that horrible categorization, and I'm sort of, mm, I I think it, it does actually sit very well in the YA category, but that doesn't simplify the book in any way. I don't think. It's just the concerns of Cassandra and this, and it's uh, Capture the Castle is so heavily rooted in Cassandra's point of view. I think it really it slides into classics like, you know, The Outsiders or Anne of Green Gables even. Mm, that's true. What did you, did you think it works as, because structurally the novel is set up as a journal mm. and it is all from Cassandra's perspective and there's some great sections throughout where she refers to writing um, each entry as a journal. Oh, yeah. Does it work? I really liked that. I didn't think I was going to. And at the beginning, I was a little bit dismayed. <laughs> <laughs> to find that it was journal, just because historical plus journal are individually I'm a little bit wary of and together I'm very wary of. But I think... Learning so much about you, me. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Journals. Um, just because it Crossing takes... that off the Christmas list. <laughs> it takes so much skill for a writer to yeah. do it correctly. I think Dodie she does. does. I think she really does. And I think the structure of the journals really allows us to get inside Cassandra as a character, yeah. which sounds so creepy. Um, but you can really, <laughs> oh. you really, you really feel... 
you really get a feel for her oh, in yeah. a way that you wouldn't if it was written from another if it was written from just a third person point of view or even from even if she was writing as writing it as first person without that kind of journal structure i think it gives it a really interesting way and also it kind of allows her to reflect on what's happening as it's happening like you can see yeah. it a little bit when you're reading it when she's kind of reflecting on what has happened as she's writing it in her journal so i think it's a really i think it's a really great structure and i think yeah. i think Jodie Sims does it fantastically i'm i love the structure for all those reasons but i also think what is outstanding is how much every other character goes through their own arc and development yes and cassandra captures yeah. that i mean she's so absolutely clever. incredibly astute and but not in a really annoying way like you're totally on board with her yeah but um there's actual narrative tension throughout and she manages to like set chapters up where she's like Oh, something happens. No, no, no. I'll start from yes. the beginning. Start and that's here. a beautiful yeah. like, yeah. little oh. conceit as well. Like that whole um, having a diary and being like, oh, I want to write, but no, I need to set up the context first, which is something I've done with like journals. So I completely was on board with that. And I just don't think this book could have been written in any other way I agree. than what it was. I mean, uh, there are just little moments like when Cassandra is really sad that Rose has gone away and I'm like, oh my God, I can feel, I can just transport it to my 12 year old self when my sister moved out of home Yeah, and it changed the family dynamic oh. quite a bit. And I'm just like, you could not have written that in any other way than a diary where you're just really reflecting and also just... For sure. I think that's yeah. really, like when you say reflecting, I think that's what I sort of latched on so strongly to when I said it before, like... The journal structure allows her to do that. In any mm. other format, you wouldn't be able to do that. So the journal gives her the opportunity to do that. And I think we then as readers really kind of fall in love with her as a character. Of course. I really enjoyed how she's she doesn't always have nice thoughts yes. or doesn't always have clear-cut feelings. And I think it's that relationship with Rose, her sister, that has... Yeah completely captured my imagination and affection for her because mm. there's a kind of a love triangle thing sort of happening. There's different love interests, but love it's her. Square. It's definitely square. <laughs> so many angles happening. But it was this relationship with her sister, and I'll read out a passage. It's just a line. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, what made me feel worst of all was that I knew in my heart that she was fonder of me than of anyone in the world just as I was of her until I fell in love with Simon. And that idea, I definitely felt heartbroken when, like, mm. my sister, she's with a wonderful partner, but I was like, oh, my God. She's lost. To yeah. She, yeah. Lost. And I was literally like, oh, so heartbroken because she's like, oh, I love her so much. But I think at the same time, it's not like this one-sided relationship with a sister because – Having a sister is complex and wonderful oh my God, and yes. irritating mm, yes. and frustrating and All of that. so yeah. actually physically violent. But just like, <laughs> <laughs> just you know, where you just ex want to share and express so many things with another human being. That I, yeah. I really did love that relationship she had with her sister. And I, mm. I, I mean, I have a sister as well, so you, you kind of identify a little bit with that, like knowing that you have grown up with this person and spent so much time together and have so much history together, but there is an end point to that. Yeah. Oh, and that is just so devastating me. to oh, think that God. that won't be forever. Like your that yeah. nuclear family becomes a whole lot of different families and all of those priorities are completely changed. Oh, my God. And you're not number one on their speed dial anymore. Yeah. Not to kill my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I never felt that with, like, I have two brothers as well, and mm. I've, I've never felt that with my brothers. Like, obviously, we're very close, and mm. I love them. I love them a lot, but I, I it's not the same. It's not mm. the same with my sister. Mm. Having, and, and I don't know, I think that relationship that, um, that Cassandra had with, with Rose is, is really quite beautiful in the book. I thought it was really interesting because I've got two brothers as well. Like we're oh my practically God, our exactly the same. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the same person. <laughs> and I love the bit where uh, Cassandra suddenly has this dawning realization that Thomas has his own interests. <laughs> yes, and his well, own yeah, personality. Yeah, more that's actually really cool. Oh yes, because it it sort of inverts that whole. I think 
um, that whole really stereotypical like, oh, my parents are people too. I think it's this was even more interesting because it was, oh, my siblings are people too and they're going to have their own lives yes. without me. Especially for Cassandra people. talking about a younger brother because so often mm. I, I have some, two of my siblings are younger than me so it's very much, um, yeah, I think you sometimes forget that they are <laughs> like actual people with like real thoughts and dreams and 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 yeah. whatever else. So I I really love that too. That sort of like, oh my god, Thomas, you read stuff. Yeah, that was really. And cool. it's modern poetry that he understands. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, burn Cassandra. <laughs> oh man. I do have to say though. Um, I read this book probably about five or six years ago for the first time. And I know, Fee, you've read it before and Neve, this was your first time. Like so, a virgin. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> um, and what I found really interesting is, um, I guess five or six years ago, I was sort of flirting with feminism. Mm. And now we're in like a really committed relationship. <laughs> um, but when I, was, when I first read this five or six years ago, that's sort of where I was at. And now when I read it again... It's really interesting how some some of my reading of it has shifted because mm. I have shifted as a person. Nice. And so there's a f- there was a few little bits and pieces which were which I found quite sort of like oh great a bit grating and and I guess it it was written yeah you know in the 1940s and it is sort of set in the 1930s although that's never particularly explicit my research has told me that that's where it's set. Yeah. But there was a couple of instances where I was just you know, the feminist in me was just like, what? Um, I mean, when her dad, I mean, the way her dad kind of uh, just, exp- and, and her brother, brother as well, but the way they just kind of expect sort of Cassandra and Rose when she's there and Topaz to just, to just do things for them. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a scene there where um, the father wants a, like a glass of milk or something. He's in the kitchen. He could, he could go and get it himself, but... <laughs> He yeah. he get he asks Cassandra to do it and just like expects her to do it. I know it's such a tiny thing, mm. but it was it's just little things like that that I just sort of went oh you know, and I guess also the way everybody refers to Cassandra as a child. Oh, oh. can I just say, do not kiss someone and then say my child in the same context because <laughs> it's fucking creepy. <laughs> what the? I had to put the book down because I'm like, what the fuck. Simon, what the fuck? <laughs> I had a similar reaction. I was yeah. like, Ugh. oh, God. yeah, that was. A it gave me like, like Emma, yuck. Emma by Jane Austen flashbacks where it's all like you know they're getting together. It's all really nice, and he's like, I've loved you since you were a child. I'm like, oh no, gross. Top. Yeah, some of that stuff was a little bit of the stuff that was. I yeah, found and it's period. It's part of it because it's period piece, but then reading it from a modern lens is really unnerving (laughs) yeah and I guess that sort of leads into that thing that sort of question is is when you are reading um if you you are reading these books and you are reading them from a modern perspective Mm. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we that we disregard these books or that we throw them out but I still think it's important to be critical of those elements oh yeah of course yeah to sort of point it out and say um whatever you want but not yeah, don't don't dismiss these books. Absolutely not. I, I would never do that. Mm. But don't be afraid to be critical of them either. I think that's really important. Oh no, we shouldn't just absorb these like ideas and these concepts uncritically. I don't think. Mm. You know. Um, and also in terms of the feminism, I sort of wanted to do the flip side of that, and also like point out how modern some of it was in yeah. terms of her coming into like Cassandra Definitely coming Cassandra. into her own, and like in her like it's almost sort of second, third wave feminism of, like, owning your body. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a beautiful, um, was it the summer solstice or... When she's up of, on the roof? When the she's mid-summer. sunbaking. Yeah, yeah, when she's sunbaking. That was and such a beautiful scene. The transition to her then sort of realising for the first time her feelings about Simon. Yeah. Really, I thought was just beautifully done. It is a coming-of-age story, really, isn't mm. it? Definitely. And, yeah, no, I mean, having said that, there is a lot of points where um, I sort of did feel like Sandra was um, pushing back against that a little bit, whether that yeah. was, like, I 
I'm not sure if that's a conscious thing. Obviously, I don't, you know, we're not friends. I can't ask her. Wait, but although, wait I, I we're not friends? No, me no. and Cassandra aren't that's friends. That's what I mean. Cassandra and I are friends. Take this serious. BFFs. She's on the Christmas card list. <laughs> Apparently, Dodie wrote a lot of herself into Cassandra. So I have read that. Yeah. Yeah. That could be. Yeah. I wonder if she wrote the kind of men that she knew in her life into those characters because I found it, having read it about eight to ten years ago, I'm like trying to be vague so I like look sound really young and fresh. <laughs> but I read it when I was probably, I don't know, 19 or 20. Mm. And I gulped it down, loved it. I haven't remembered a single thing about it except a glorious feeling of loving it. Mm-hmm. And so I was quite like rereading this. It was like a new book to me. And being quite a strong, like assertive feminist now, I'm like, oh, what, 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 what? There is like a, my copy, yes, I've accidentally torn it. It's quite dog eared. Yeah. So dog eared. And I penciled up different sections because. There's so many specific sections where all the male characters completely blame the women for influencing them in different ways. Like, you can't blame a man in love because it's the woman who's, like, cast a spell on him. And there's one line that um, somebody's talking about, Rose, um, and it's, but she's bad, really. Lots of women are. And they're constantly saying how bad women are for, like, having this spell over men. And I'm like, wait a second. Just just simmer down in your Madonna whore complex for, like, one second, (laughs) please. Also, please feel free to take responsibility for your own actions. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there are so many scenes in this where it's like the woman is apologising to the man for the Mm. man just leeching onto her. And I'm like... Yeah, I'm getting almost violent with this book right now. Get away! <laughs> so that's why you're ripping the pages, right? Yeah. <laughs> if I rip enough, every male character will stop being <laughs> shitty. But at the same time, I find it really funny is that I actually like the male characters as well, which I'm mm. kind of really confused about because I'm like, you're a bit of a dickhead, but you've also got a great personality in other respects. It's like complex, which I think is what I really like about the book mm. is Every single character is so textured in different yeah. ways. Yeah. Like, I was, like, when I read this years ago, I can remember thinking, Rose, ugh, gold digger, ugh. And now I'm, like, completely, like, I love you, Rose. I think you're yeah, such because, a brave woman. Yeah, that's, and yes. I think brave is really the right word because mm-hmm. she she kind of feels the weight of her like I said in, you know, in introducing the book, like, her family's fortunes, like, rest on her shoulders. Yeah. Like, what a huge burden to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And she's prepared to enter into a marriage with someone that she doesn't love because she's conscious of the fact that the ongoing survival of her family is her responsibility yeah. in a yeah. way. And I mean, that's huge. I know, because Cassandra tries to call her out, like, oh, you're so cowardly and whatever, but... I think I really do believe Rose when she said, oh, I go to bed at night and I think about, oh, at least they have something to eat tonight. I believe and, her too. Yeah, that's so heartbreaking, having that on your shoulders and then doing... And Absolutely. Also, and also with Topaz, you can sort of see oh, that... I love Topaz. I mean, so isn't much. that a... I think their marriage is somewhat of a cautionary tale for Rose, though. Living with that and then having to think okay, now I need to go and bring home money and, like, look after... Like, because Topaz has that sort of... um, She's really focused... Her whole life is really revolving around their father. Yeah. Yeah. And, I don't know, it has that sort of Mrs. Mr. Bennet, like, Jane Bennet sort of vibe for me. I don't know know if Rose would see Topaz... Um, their marriage, the marriage mm-hmm. of her stepmother and father as a cautionary tale, I don't know if that entered her thought process at all. And I found it really interesting that um, how complex Topaz is in that she is seen as this muse, this kind of woman mm-hmm. who just inspires mm, specifically yeah. men. Cassandra <laughs> does point that out. She only inspires <laughs> men. Yeah. I thought, yes, Cassandra, astute. But um, 
what a bloody hard worker she is and what a giving woman, an intelligent woman and a complex woman with thoughts, feelings and emotions. And she's actually like trying to pull the family up by the bootstraps and like get food Mm. on the table in the really hard parts. Can I just, on a bit of a tangent, um, her role is that um, supporter to the male artist, and I'm putting that in quotation marks for the <sighs> listeners. Um, I think that's such a fascinating dynamic, and I actually think that was really clever of Dodie. I don't know yeah. if that was her intention, but we know throughout history so many of these um, you know, men that are put up as incredible artists mm. or scientists or whatever their field that they're in have been able to do that because they've had the support of a wife. Yeah. And I, I have just recently um, been reading about um, women who were the sort of typist slash researcher for their writer husbands. Mm. Yeah. And you sort of think, I look at that relationship of, of Topaz and, and Cassandra's father, and that to me is exactly that. Yeah. She is there. Um, to support him and he wouldn't be able to do what he's doing without her specifically sitting in a sitting in the castle with a writer's block and reading detective novels all day yeah topaz is the one that's keeping that family sort of together together but i think that's a really clever thing Dodie. i don't know if she intentionally did it but (laughs) i mean looking at it from from where we sit now i think that's a really yeah, actually, interesting relationship. Yeah, actually, I'll kind of revoke what I said before because I was sort of just throwing pasta at the wall in terms of ideas. Pasta. I don't know, like you know where you like spaghetti at the wall and then see if it sticks. Oh, yeah, right. right. Um, <laughs> weird <laughs> metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> um, celiac talking. Like, is it gluten free pasta? Otherwise, pass. Um, I remember reading coming into it and then there was that really frank conversation of like um i can't remember exact words but she's basically talking about how being in in a um, husband like oh we're going to sell you basically to simon like isn't marriage another type of sale isn't yeah a lot of that comes up in the beginning so i think it was maybe it's not a cautionary tale but i think through topaz and being in contact with her she was very aware of the role she would need to play and also just aware of like the world around her and how she would need to engage with it in order to yes. keep the family afloat. I, I mm. really like that about Topaz is because she is a businesswoman. Like mm. she knows how to get money, um, but also kind of keep her sense of self about it. And she was passing those lessons on to both of the girls in terms of, look, men are going to think this and you do this. And I think, think that given how many constraints they had historically in terms of property ownership in terms of are they allowed to have independence and a job and this and that like they're restricted on so many levels Mm. and topaz like is this voice of intelligence even though she's often portrayed um kind of in a size of being this beautiful woman i think cassandra knows that topaz is has her smarts and her wits about her Mm. And I think that develops throughout the novel as well. And I just really like that it is complex. Like, what do you do? What would you do in the 1940s, if uh, the 1930s, if your family's starving? And, and you're like, so stripped of agency. These people come mm. along. I'm like, oh. and one of them has a beard and he shaves it off and he looks attractive. It's like, well, what do you do? <laughs> Can um, we just briefly mention Rose making Simon shave that beard off? What <laughs> do you think yes. about that? felt like I don't know I feel kind of conflicted about it I mean I love beards first of all (laughs) so I would be like go beard but also I kind of feel like I I don't know whether that was like a really mean thing for her to do or like a really kind of clever this is how much control I have over you I can make you shave your beard off well I think that becomes a bit of a through line that whole idea that one of the ways that women have agency is their power, and I say this in um, inverted commas, like quotes, um, over men through... Because I think the father talks about that a little bit as well. Using their sexuality. Yeah. Oh. Though, in a very misogynistic sort of lens, but I yeah. think that was sort of one of the ways in which she could sort of say, okay, I'm stable with it. 
actually that's sort of part of the reason because I think she saw Topaz really trying to reach out to their father and try and engage with that relationship but I feel like the father was very closed off and so that was her trying to really establish boundaries and where she stood. Yeah. I really like though, and I found it hilarious, is um, how everyone was, well, it kind of sounds mean now that I say it aloud, but I found it hilarious <laughs> was it. that, um, so when the, the Americans first come and uh, that is not an american accent no it's not it's okay, cool. i was trying to be all like the americans okay cool. i don't know in, indeterminate accent trying yeah. um definitely not british um so basically they come and they're strapping men with lots of cash and one has an unfortunate beard and he looks like the devil whoops uh which is why i don't mind he shaved it off because i too thought he looked like the devil even though there was no picture i was just <laughs> with them on the journey i'm like yeah scary profile shave it off but I really like how Rose tries to change herself and she's very affected and she's just, mm. like, putting on airs and graces and everyone's like, what are you doing? Can you please? look, like, ridiculous. And I think it kind of comes back to that of um, when you're not authentic to who you are, you come across as really contrived and really fake. So it's unmasking. Yeah. So the, the shaving, which is what I'm trying to do, is a kind of unmasking for her, for, and then also for Cassandra, because I think that's the first time she actually says, oh, he actually, Simon's attractive. But even, like, I don't know necessarily a masking of him, but I think maybe that is kind of, Rose doesn't know what she's doing, and she's trying out lots of different things. She's yeah. trying to be mm. Topaz for a while, and she mm -hmm. can't be yeah. Topaz, because Topaz is, like, this fabulous bohemian warrior woman who like walks around naked all the time and is just owning herself and her body and her thoughts and when but she's also vulnerable i think i mean mm. with the relationship with the father do we ever know his name the father's name he's kind of just called mortmain the entire way but that's mm. a surname yeah that's weird is his name mortmain mortmain <gasps> maybe his name is <laughs> jacob from his book no yeah. isn't that mailman's name though Oh, that is. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no. Oh, that would be so. He's wrestling with himself. He's oh trying my God. to climb up a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go oh with God. his name's Mortmain Mortmain because I just find that really amusing when people have um, the same name twice. Does that uh, often happen though? I've heard of a couple of people. Mm. Maybe I need to start hanging out with people rather than books. <laughs> um. Why? Yeah. I'll good point. <laughs> Um, but you wanted to talk more about Topaz and her past, I remember. We did briefly touch yeah. on that. There's reference to, um, I guess there's reference to so, violence. Yeah, really. domestic violence domestic in her violence. past. And there is, she does have a conversation with Cassandra where she's talking about her relationship with Cassandra's father, Mortman, um, that she was prepared for anything mm. in the relationship even violence and I literally just was like underlined oh. didn't remember that when I was 19 must yeah. have skimmed yeah. over that section but I was like that's really interesting in itself um, and also the line where she's like oh to get him writing I would wouldn't care if he massacred me yeah yeah I was like whoa it's it, really taking the idea of the muse to some pretty terrifying yeah. not even yeah. the muse the role of the woman in a yeah, marriage absolutely. or the role yeah. of women in society like string her up guys like she's just like at your mercy and i just mm. thought fucking hell like i'm amazing book i think it's jody has been criticized for making it quite a naive kind of nostalgic view of the britain that she used to live in and she was essentially exiled from. But that kind of makes mm. sense. I mean, which, yeah. I mean, she was living in California. Her husband was a conscientious objector to yeah. World War Two, mm. and they were living in California during the Second World War. So I'm actually not surprised that she would write that sort of thing because she's the over there, sickness. like, missing yeah. missing this England, and so she's going to romanticise it to a point, I think. Which mm. I think... I don't think she has romanticised it. I was going to say the exact opposite to that, whereas I, maybe she feels braver in, like, pointing out how fucked up marriage, the construct of marriage is. 
mm. or the role of a woman mm. in different circumstances. And she was in America and she could be like, hey, I'm going to call this out. Like, you know, women have been... But she does it very subtly, though. It's yeah. not like... She's not um, hitting you on the head with it. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really quite subtle. And, and some of the things that she does, like when... Know, I was prepared for violence. I mean, that is sort of almost you read that and you almost sort of rear back, like, what? Yeah, so I don't mm. think it's subtle. I think it's almost matter of fact of what Topaz was prepared for. Like, I don't think it's like this, like, a plot point in itself. I think it's like part of the I greater context yeah. of where the book sits in its time and place. Yeah. And the role of women. I think that's what I mean by saying it's subtle in that it's not a major plot point, it's just sort of there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's matter of fact within their lives, so it makes sense that it's matter of fact within the book. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, that's fine. Although, picking, who said it was the naivety and people was criticising in that respect? Because I feel like there's... Well, Cassandra's called naive. Simon calls her... Oh, yeah, she's... Um, what is it? Consciously naive. naive. Well, I think that's part of the charm of the book. And also, going back to having it as a diary... You can see her progress in her writing style and her, and her and how she thinks about like life, and you know there was that beautiful like that little thing, where she performs the consciously naive, um sort of self for Simon, mm. and I think you can sort of there's it's beautiful in that because it's a diary you can sort of see her gradual awareness, of the people around her and of herself. So I think the naivety is part of an arc of naivety to awareness, and it makes it really like a classic. Yeah. I don't know if she is consciously naive the whole time, which I agree is that mm. kind of like... Is she even becomes, at the beginning, though? She's so fucking switched She's really on. smart. Like, she, mm. there's one line I and know... she's really, like... Um, I feel like she notices a lot. She, oh, yeah. she really picks up on a lot of what's going on around her, which I find just, I think she's great. She's astounding. And mm. I think she shows her willingness to self-analyse and yeah. analyse the world yeah. around her constantly. And she may not have all the answers, but, but that's by okay. God, she's going to write some <laughs> journal entries and figure out her thoughts and feelings yes. and she'll Who get somewhere. Who has all the answers anyway? No, exactly. At and 17. <laughs> And there was one little line in there where I was just like, ah, oh, the bird watcher in me is so happy. Where she, like, <laughs> notes that the birds, like, tilt their heads to listen to the movement of worms, like, through the ground before yep. pecking at them. And I was like, yes, Cassandra, you're switched on. I love you. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm not sure I would say she was. I think that uh, sort of well, consciously, or is he alluding to the fact that she's maybe putting on a little bit of an act? But he doesn't even know know her at the time. I don't don't think she's consciously naive, but I think there's... She was in a bath, though. Well, she does. I think there is... Who acts their normal self when you're in a bathtub and there's people And somebody walks in on you. Yeah, and you need a towel. (laughs) Well, I think there's a... She starts the novel um, feeling like there's so many questions about her life and, like, she's imagining herself. Yeah, she's imagining herself marrying she's imagining herself but does she imagine herself marrying she imagines rose getting married oh no she imagines herself marrying um not simon neil thank you um oh yeah once and also there's things she's learning as well she's learning how to like she learns basically how to love in this book but then can we talk about like she's imagining herself marrying neil like that obviously feels like a reality for her can we talk about the ending don't we all learn how to love yeah. in this book? I, like, <laughs> I learned how to feel feelings in this book. I was oh, like, oh, oh man. Oh, so many feelings in this book. And I was like, oh, okay. That's how people do it. <laughs> oh, man. The ending, those, lo- those ending lines, you can just... I, lo- I really love the ending. Oh, they're beautiful. Because I feel like if it had have been any other way... I don't know, we've just said we're happy to do spoilers here, so if you don't like spoilers, probably, like, maybe skip through this section no 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 don't skip over it just pump up some like diana ross music true dance around maybe go and make a sandwich now <laughs> make some pasta or and get ready to throw it out a bowl of <laughs> make a cup of tea and just like chill out for a bit but i really love the fact that it ended with her not marrying yes with her being her 
you know, thinking about her future in a different way. Mm. She actually she's wants, fantastic. She wants to get a career. I know. Yeah. Become a secretary. I know that it's to kind of facilitate. But she wants to writing. write. Yeah. Yeah, she wants to write and she she's learned how to be selfless in love, but in a way that doesn't um, bring her down. Doesn't yeah. lessen absolutely. her in any way. She's not going to um, shrink herself and quash her mm. her ambition or her desires yeah. to pursue a marriage and also not to pers- and not to pursue a marriage where she'd always feel like she had to prove something yeah to someone um and having that awareness is something i don't think she had at the beginning of the book but then something she discovered which is beautiful I yeah <laughs> i really love that ending i i would have been so thoroughly disappointed if Jodie had like married her off. I would have oh, been no. really quite distraught, I think. So I've, I mean, you get to the ending and you're just like, yeah, Cassandra, like, I'm just so excited for where you're going to go and what's going to happen in your life because I mm. just feel like she'd taken a massive step then to say, actually, no, I need to do this for myself. I need to live this life for myself. Yeah. And also being the, the ability to say no and to have conversations about relationships like the on the bridge with Stephen and saying actually no you're not what I want and I'm really sorry and I'm always going to be grateful to you but I need to do what I've got to do it's yeah. something that's really adult mm, hugely yeah and I was just I like, struggle with those conversations and I'm nearly I'm 30 <laughs> I was gonna say nearly 30 then but I'm definitely 30 <laughs> <laughs> suddenly 30 <laughs> so would you guys recommend this book yes should people pick it up and read it and who are these people are they anyone yes. all of the people every people <laughs> every person <laughs> no i would definitely recommend it i think it's um i think it's a lovely read mm. i'd pro- probably preface it by just saying it's in this time and so you need to be aware of that going in oh absolutely yeah but, like we mentioned that like being conscious of that is pretty important yeah. Um, but lest you throw the book against the wall. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Would you, Nick? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there are very few books where I've sort of finished them, sat down and just sort of, like, had that, like, complete, um, sort of, oh, my God, this has been such an experience and this is such, a, like, a whole piece of art that I've just now had. And, um, yeah, so... Recommend. That's, that's really beautiful, Neve. I'm, t- I'm almost <laughs> warming up. <laughs> really, ah, would you? Would you think? I, I mean, you've done it a lot of pages, so I feel like that is an indication that mm. you would. Yeah. You so if anyone wants to borrow it, you're gonna really have to use bookmark. <laughs> this is the copy that's had the page ripped, though. Yeah, I may have written notes and I want to steal some like witty burns from Cassandra. I yes. <laughs> pretend they're mine. I'm like, Cassandra Bum. Yes. Um, I would definitely recommend this and I think I really want to revisit it um, in another decade and maybe just keep doing that, rolling with it because I mm. felt um, not, <laughs> this is going to sound really stupid, I given that I can't really remember the first time I read it, but I definitely connected with it in a different way from the first time. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Rose, Topaz. Oh, and I can only imagine that um, my reflections and experiences with this book will continue to shift and change as I'm absolutely marching my way through life. So strutting. Do we put that in the diary now? 2027. Wait, let me um in my journal. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just put a note in my in my future phone. me. Get ready to get fucked up. Because <laughs> <laughs> this book will fuck you up every time. Oh my god! I you're assuming that you're gonna forget. Are you assuming you're gonna forget? Probably I would. Well, yeah, I, okay. I'll, I actually I'll remember some of it because I, I really this has actually made an impact on me. I think. But, oh. Oh yes. Oh. Um, but I think I'll forget some of the plot points and I might have forgotten a bit of it. So I'll probably be like. Just yeah, ready I, for the get ready for the ride. I totally That's forgot so the great. ending. I literally was like <laughs> thumbing my way to the end, going, "What's gonna happen?" And then I was like, "Do you know what I forgot? Mm. I forgot when they locked him in the in the <laughs> can in we the, yeah. locking him in the castle? Oh my god! In the, what was I called? laughed aloud. What it's was beautiful. it? Is do they call that the castle though? Because that's it not, was like a tower in the tower thing. He, they literally I'm locked him in the tower. Pretty sure it was, I a it was a fantastic. French word. Yes. 
Thomas really came into his own then. Because <laughs> then he goes like, maybe they should, and he's like, don't be a weak bitch. <laughs> Look basically, at these. Basically, that's what he was saying. That <laughs> is slightly different language, that's what he was saying. <laughs> Sibling, so great. All right. So it's a yes all round. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Woohoo! So much yes. Okay, recommendations. So, what have we been reading, listening to, watching, seeing, experiencing that uh, that we want to give a big thumbs up to this month? Neve. Okay, well, I have two. I have a film and a TV show. So, my film is Get Out, which you've probably already heard of. I've seen it on Twitter, but I haven't actually yes. seen it. Yes. So, I'm not, by the time you listen to this, I'm not sure if it will still be in cinemas, but if it is, go out and watch it. Basically, it is um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner um, meets sort of every really creepy body horror like um, thriller you've ever seen. So basically, it's fabulous. Um, Jordan Peele wrote and directed it. If I bought talented, that one. yeah, mm, um, amazing. You, yeah, you know him from Keen Peele, the um, comedy sketches, and the film actually is really comedic. But why you watch it is because of its intelligent way how it um, deals with uh, race and race relations in America. Um, things to watch for definitely with how they use cameras and eyes and how the imagery associated with that is just really wonderful give it a watch awesome um is it, it scary yes um, <laughs> um might, be, might so, be a daytime watch <laughs> i might need a blankie <laughs> <Okay>. and like <laughs> i might um, need to watch it with someone i don't know yeah, if i could watch be, best watched in the dark with oh. possibly someone to grab and then also someone to then discuss what you've just absorbed and witnessed. Or um, cry with afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Be consoled um, in like I, I actually prefer to watch scary movies in the middle of the day with all the lights on and the curtains open. I just don't uh, watch them. I'm such a <laughs> weird, I'm like racing heart right now. Well, I'm the same way. I don't particularly like them, but I will watch it if I think it's um, interesting and unique enough, and this definitely is. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Um, and my TV show in a uh, same sort of similar thematic vein is Dear White People. Um, it is... It's on Netflix, yeah? Yes. Yep. Netflix. It is an sort of a adapta- sort of an adaptation. Uh, basically, it was a film by the same director slash writer, I believe, um, Justin Simeon. Um, it was a 2014 movie. That was pretty, that was pretty fabulous. Um, very Obama-era um, sort of discussions, whereas this is like comp- a step up from that. Um, really delves deep into each character. Basically, the white people is a TV show about um, African American students in a predominantly white university. If you can't, don't have time for all of them. My real, um, the real highlight is episode five. It was uh, directed by Barry Jenkins, as you you may know from uh, La La La. Oh, sorry, Moonlight. He directed that. Yes, you were doing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Very well done. Thank you. That, I I thought of that joke. I'm like. It's going in. And the award goes to <laughs> Nave on this one. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's episode five. Um, it deals with uh, the character Reggie, um, one of the sort of characters that a little, doesn't get as much focus on the film, but definitely there's a moment, like there's a scene in that, f- um, that episode which is just absolutely so powerful and it's a must watch. Okay. Yeah. Great. Nice. What have you got, Fee? I got I've been doing a bit of reading, a bit of listening, and I recently read Small Acts of Disappearance by Fiona Wright, which is a collection of essays that delves into the um, concept of hunger, and she went through anorexia, and it was a really interesting read. It was quite um, moving, and a topic that um, I haven't read a lot about, but her writing is poetic and beautiful and um, I think it's one of those collections that 
I'll probably revisit in a couple of years' time just to reread because she's yep. stunning. I would second that recommendation. I read that book last year, I believe. Um, I'll have to check the grades. Um, yeah, I would second that. It's, it's incredibly poetic and it's, I mean, it's obviously a very complex subject and it's a very serious subject, mm. but I think she deals with it, um, yeah, really quite... I don't want to say beautifully because that seems quite that seems the wrong word to use in this context but um it's really well done and I think it will age well it'll be one of those like you said it'll be one of those collections you come back to and I definitely learned so much and I wasn't even aware about um so many aspects of the condition and her motivations and she kind of really takes you on her journey and um yeah, highly recommend. I've also uh, recently read It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis. Um, it was, uh, it hasn't really aged that well. It's not kind of up there with kind of um, 1984 and um, other kind of political satire slash dystopian novels. It was written in the 1930s, kind of fell off the bestseller list, but it is a, quite a remarkable read. Not really that strong of a narrative as such. The story kind of kind of twos and fro's a little bit and is all over the place, but it's basically about this guy who doesn't have any political training whatsoever. He's very bombastic um, and he's nonsensical and he's vain and he's arrogant and suddenly becomes the president of the United States and the world just kind of falls apart and it is a frightening read. It, I was literally frightened by this book and it's yes because it could never happen <laughs> it can't happen here <laughs> and um, sound familiar at all uh so if you want a book to feel glum about pick that up because i felt awesome. bloody glum <laughs> so yeah, glum that's sometimes dystopians hit too close to home oh, and i feel like especially that in one... 2017 <laughs> yeah oh goodness so to get myself out of a glum state i decided to pick up hannah kent's burial rights and well, poetic, but uh, not uplifting by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> so I've been like feeling down in the dumps lately from books, but um, I'm probably one of the only people who hasn't read Burial Rights. I'm sure many of you have heard about it or read it and have heard many good things about it. So I'm not, uh, there's not much to say other than read Burial Rights. Um, other than reading, I've been listening to the wonderful podcast out of Melbourne, Sisteria, which is just interviews with uh, females in creative industries, and it's fabulous. It's great. Yeah. I can't wait for season two. I'm literally like, countdown is on. Yeah, it's a really great one. I'd recommend that one too. And the last thing I've been listening to is S-Town. Have you guys listened to S-Town? I, I have not. I have heard so many great things about it, but I have not yet given it a listen, and I've heard it's one that you need to marathon. So I'm, I'm saving it. Yes, definitely. It's. Uh, I'm really grateful that nobody has kind of done spoilers um I know a lot of people who've listened to it and just it's really hard to talk about without um spoiling certain parts but it's basically so many stories that aren't often told and it's told so beautifully and I reckon I'm going to be thinking about these characters these people for a very long time and if you get a chance to listen to it please do because I want to talk about it with you guys like listen to it but I won't spoil it here okay so don't worry about that guys <laughs> okay my recommendations um I've got a couple of books First up is um, Julie Coe's Portable Curiosities. Julie was just on the Sisteria um, podcast, so that's such a nice great little, interview. Nice little link there. <laughs> um, so I read Portable Curiosities um, earlier this year, not too earlier, only about a month or so ago, I think. Um, and it's a fantastic collection of short stories. It is super brilliant and um, very funny and very clever. And yeah, I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. A story. It's very lucky. I think we have a lot of um, really great short story writers, and, and Julie's definitely one of them. She was just actually um, awarded by the Sydney Morning Herald um, one of the 2017 Young Australian Novelists of the Year, and well deserved. Well deserved. Fantastic. Um, another book I wanted to recommend is um, Play On The Hidden History of Women's Australian Rules Football. 
something um, about me is that I I love football, particularly women's football, big women's football fan. And this is a fantastic book. I think even if you're not um, much of a footy fan, um, it really goes back into the history of women playing football. And, and I learned a lot, a lot. Um, I had no idea that the first games of football played by first organised games of football played by women were in 1915 in Perth. Oh, legend! Yeah, it's amazing. And there were games happening in the 40s and 50s in Melbourne. Um, so it's 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 a really really great read. Um, even if you're not a footy fan, you know what there's a lot of fantastic wear? stuff. Yeah. Um, Do they have? Women wearing shorts? No, they were, they were sort of like... Um, Netball outfits? No, they were like dresses. They were like silk dresses. How do you kick in a silk long. dress? Well, some of the... Um, the you like hike it up? Yeah, that original game was between um, the factory girls and shop girls of a, a department store in Perth. Oh, so oh that's A lot of them were actually seamstresses or dressmakers, so oh. they actually developed these sort of techniques that would... Um, with like um, hook and eyes or something like that, I'm not sure, to sort of almost make the dress into shorts. Like collots or something. Yeah, yeah. something like that, I think, yeah. That so, would be a fantastic novel of yeah. just, oh, write that, please. I want to read it. <laughs> sure, I'll get on that. I'll just do it, yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely recommend that. Um, even Like I said, even if you're not a footy fan, um, it's just a fantastic read and, and really well done. Um, the other thing that I that I want to recommend, although it's not actually a recommendation, it's more like a... A warning? Steer well, clear? No, no, not a warning at all. It's more like just a heads up about what I'm going to be doing in June. Um, and I'm assuming I won't be the only one. So the third season of Twin Peaks has dropped. Yes. Um, a couple of years after the last one. <laughs> just a few. <laughs> just a couple. Um, so my plans... Um, for the next few weeks are actually to rewatch the first few seasons and then jump into the third. I'm planning on carrying a log around the place so I can, you know, get into character and just be the log lady. Um, yeah, I'm going to be making a lot of pie. Nice. A nice. Pie. Please invite me around. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm a little um... bit nervous about it because I'm, it's, I'm not exaggerating about my nervousness around horror films. Like, I was terrified watching Twin Peaks. Really? The giant just, oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. Owls. I don't, it's made me look at birds in a different way. (laughs) (laughs) Cautiously. Just like, what are you thinking? What are you plotting and scheming? And, oh. Yeah, no, that should be really fun. I'm actually really looking forward to that. Going to do that same sort of, Niamh, you're going to do the binge watch of S-Town while I'm going to do a Twin Peaks binge. So, Mm. um, yeah, there's and there is a a podcast happening around that um, that a friend of mine, Hayley, is involved in, uh, which I recommend checking out. Um, just called the Twin Peaks Season 3 Podcast, so definitely check that out. They're on Twitter as well, and uh, if you're listening or watching the third season, you can jump on there and follow um, Hayley's podcast as well. Perfect. That's a lot of recommendations. That is. If everybody, if if people listening, like, watch and read everything we've just recommended... That, that's like a good month of their life gone. <laughs> that's a time... Well, I thought we were just doing a few, but you guys just seem to, like, pull out a list. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I've been, like, busy. <laughs> and it, that was, like, an abridged list. I, I had a few other things on there, but I'm like, mm. you know what? A bit of mystery now that yeah. goes astray. What have I been reading and watching? <laughs> I, I'll keep a few things close to my chest. I'll save them up for future podcasts yeah <laughs> nice although i'm sure future podcasts you'll have more things to recommend oh so. my god and maybe I'm we should do a, a separate podcast just like fees recommendations <laughs> <laughs> i laugh but then i'm like great idea <laughs> i'm on board <laughs> such a blabber mouth yeah i love talking about books <laughs> okay so that's it are we done? Uh, I think we're talking about the book we're going to do. Oh my goodness, I nearly forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. the book we're going to be talking about next month is Han Kang's Human Acts. Gorgeous cover. I'm it is so great, excited. It? Yeah. Love me a good cover. Yeah, pretty excited about that one. So I actually read The Vegetarian early this year and that is a spectacular book. Um, 
the structure alone is is in, is just remarkable, just incredible, very very clever. So I'm really excited to jump into Human Acts. I think it's going to be um, it's going to be fun. So if you want to um, read along um, and chat with us about that, um, please do. We'd love that. And where can people find us? Where can they find us? Well, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Lit Cannonball, uh, Instagram uh, at Literary Cannonball, or you can search for us on Facebook, Literary Cannonball. Beautiful. All, all the socials, all the socials. Mm. And don't forget Snapchat. Yeah. Yeah, Snapchat? yeah, actually, a very irregularly um, updated Snapchat is available if you want to snap. I will snap back. Every day I'm Snapchatting. <laughs> 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 yeah. What are we on Snapchat? Uh, Lit Cannonball. I should probably know that. Snapchat <laughs> on the floor. Snapchat. <laughs> so I'm too old for Snapchat. Oh, no, well, if any young'uns like me want to snap, you know, snap me what you're reading. Ah, oh, definitely. Snap me what you're reading. Mm. Fantastic. <laughs> and then Neve can pass it on to non-Snapchat people, yeah. i.e. Caribbean me. Please email me. Speaking of email, for those of us, those of you um, who are not on all the socials, I'm sure you are, but if you're not and you want to send us an email, you can get in touch at literarycannibal at gmail.com. We'd love to get emails, so send us an email. Please. And a snap. Yeah. Tweet us. Snap us. Do it. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.